This is Cardinal Francis George. I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a nonprofit ministry at the forefront of Catholic evangelization, using new media to spread the faith on every continent. Father Barron challenges us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The global benefactors of Word on Fire, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend is from the book of the prophet Ezekiel, and our gospel is from the 21st chapter of Matthew. And they're both about taking spiritual responsibility. Now, as many commentators have pointed out over the centuries, the 18th chapter of Ezekiel, and I recommend you read it. If you have a chance today, take out your Bible and read chapter 18 of Ezekiel. It represents a major breakthrough in consciousness. For it insists upon the personal responsibility of the individual moral agent. Now, what am I talking about? Well, in most ancient cultures, including ancient Israel, the community had primacy over the individual. And therefore, they could say, the famous proverb at the beginning of Ezekiel 18, Fathers have eaten green grapes, sour grapes, and their children's teeth are set on edge. There's the proverb. So the fathers have done something wrong or unfortunate, and the children suffer for it. Children suffer because of the sins of their fathers. That's what the proverb means. The entire people is liable for punishment because of the misdeeds of some individuals among the people. Or, turn the idea around, one could benefit from the good deeds of an ancestor or a friend in the tribe. So that's the more classical, the more ancient consciousness, the community having primacy over the individual. And I'll grant you, it's hard for us even to get our minds around it because we've been so conditioned by the shift that happened in ancient times around chapter 18 of Ezekiel. We're so conditioned by that shift it's hard to get back behind it. What's happening, and chapter 18 uh, is the account of it, is through God's tutelage, the people Israel is realizing the moral folly of such an approach. And they're coming thereby to a keener grasp of individual moral agency and moral responsibility. So, we who live on the far side of this divide would say, indeed, it would be unfair that all Germans be punished because of the sins of Hitler and his, and his gang. Or that all Americans living today should be held morally responsible for the enslavement of blacks in the 18th and 19th centuries. I mean, we would, of course, say, sure, that, that's unfair. We shouldn't think in collective terms here, but individual terms. Now, this emerging consciousness also gave rise to the conviction that real moral change is possible. See, it's a very important point here because if, if you're simply a member of a community and the community has done some bad thing, you're kind of stuck. You're, you're just a victim of what your community has done. 
But once you move into an individual sort of perspective, you see that real moral change is possible. Listen now to Ezekiel, quote, But if he turns from the wickedness he's committed and does what is right and just, he shall preserve his life. In other words, one is not held captive to the sins of the collective. Here's a point I want you all to see today. One can and should stand before God individually and assume spiritual responsibility. One ought not to hide behind or lose oneself in the collective. You know, a very interesting thing here, friends, in the shift to the new translation of the liturgy, we don't say at the creed, we believe in one God as we did. But each one of us is compelled to say, I believe in one God. Credo, right, in the Latin, I believe. It's an important moment, isn't it? Because we can lose ourselves in the collective. Oh, we, I guess we all believe this. But when you stand before God and you say, Credo in unum Deum, I believe in one God, that makes all the difference. It means you're standing, having gathered yourself and clearly announcing that you stand for the Lord. See, so many of the spiritual teachers insist on the importance of this moment when one claims identity and responsibility before God. You're not a victim of what's come before you, and you can't take credit for the virtue of those around you. You got to make a stand. You've got to make a contribution. Now, what does all this look like on the ground? Here we move to the gospel. Jesus tells that story of the two sons. That's a standard trope, by the way, in the Bible. Very often stories, both Old Testament and New, begin with a man had two sons. The father says to the first son, Go out into the vineyard to work. Son says no, but then, thinking better of it, he goes to work. To the second son, the father gives the same order, and the boy responds promptly, yes, but then fails to go. Simple story, representing a very important spiritual insight. Because it represents God's address to each one of us at the depth level of our being. Go on mission. Fulfill your purpose. This is God addressing you at the very source and ground of your being, addressing you at the level of soul and saying, I've got a mission for you. I've got some work for you to do in the vineyard. This is not simply a question of family or work or degree or education, as important as those are. This is the question of who you are at the most fundamental level. And here I'd make bold to speak of the fundamental option. When you hear this question echoing in your heart, or you hear this command, rather, go, do something in my field, that's the moment of truth. That's the moment when you have separated yourself from the collective, not being a victim, not taking credit. You stand before God and say, here's what I'm going to do. 
Now, the parable presents to us a range of options in regard to the human response to this fundamental invitation. First son, as we saw, says no, but then he repents. Don't underestimate the spiritual importance of that no. Yes, the good news is he repents, and I'll get there. But that no is a terrible thing. And I want us to feel the texture of that. When you're addressed by God and you turn him down, something breaks. It's not because God's being cruel or capricious. It's just like a spiritual physics here. God has addressed you, and you have said in some fundamental way, no, I'm not going to do it. See, there's nothing more dramatic, nothing more important in life. And it might not appear publicly. When they tell your life story, they're not going to say, oh, when he was you know, 25 years old, that's the moment he said no to God. That's not going to appear publicly, but that's the decisive moment of your life. When God addresses you, and you say no, something has gone dramatically wrong. Now, press that no all the way, and you get what Jesus calls in the parable prostitution tax collectors, meaning someone who's become very morally corrupt. I think today, the no to God gives rise to this rampant secularism spiritual indifferentism, which, trust me when I tell you, conduces eventually to destructive sin. Saying no to God at the fundamental level throws something off. Okay, that's the bad news. What's the good news? The good news is that repentance remains, even for the one that says no, a lively possibility. That's why when Jesus says, Amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you, he's signaling the possibility of real repentance. He says the prostitutes and the tax collectors, which in in his time would have meant the worst of sinners, when they heard the preaching of John, they responded. They had said no, and they'd followed that no a long way into serious sin. But when they heard the preaching of John, They gathered themselves anew, and they said yes. Spiritual point, and I bet people listening to me right now feel what I'm talking about. Spiritual point is, don't ever give up. Don't ever say, it's too late for me. Because even the most hardened no can turn into a yes. Look at the stories of so many of the saints. Every saint had a past. Every sinner has a future, right? There's a spiritual lesson. Now, look at the other side of the equation. The second son said yes very readily. And don't write that yes off as simply trivial lip service. If you can muster the energy and the focus to say yes to God's call when you hear it, that's no small thing. But then we have to remember the famous Aristotle principle which I think is a principle you can live by. Here it is. Don't listen to what people say. Watch what people do. If you want to know someone's real character, don't listen to their words so much. Watch their behavior. So this second son, to use our cliche of today, is someone that could talk the talk but not walk the walk. 
You know, I think about this. I, I'm asked to give a lot of public speeches, and um, I realize there's something almost terrible about the moment of agreeing to accept an invitation because I know it entails this rather big commitment of preparing something, of arranging for a plane, getting on that plane, going to the place, giving the talk, coming back home. So I realize the minute I say yes, well, that means I got to walk the walk. So we all have to be careful when we stand before the Lord and we say that we will serve him. By the way, you say it every time you pray, every time you enter into the liturgy, anytime you participate in the sacraments. It's a pledge even more sacred than the pledge of a husband to a wife. If you say, yes, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Yes, I'm going to go into your vineyard. Listen, you've gathered yourself. You're not just a member of a family or a community. You, you. And you say, yes, Lord, I will serve. Then you got to do it come rain or shine. Then you've got to do it in good times or in bad. Once you've gathered yourself and said, here I am, send me, as Isaiah says, then you've got to let yourself be sent. So here's the spiritual question I'll leave you with. Where do you stand? You, listening to me right now, where do you stand in regard to God's invitation? How are you right now taking spiritual responsibility? And God bless you. I hope you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George, and I pray that God will bless you and those you love.